Hey, this is Liz. And this is Kristen. You know, we have a lot going on this week. Well, we know a you, lot. you probably do too. But you know what? This episode, Liz, I could not stop thinking about this, especially with all that's been going on with the York School District, which, by the way, is like two hours from me. I know. How that I works. know. For those of you who have not been following the news like we have, and the word York School District does not ring a bell. That's the school district in Pennsylvania that came out with a banned book list. Yes. In this, the year of our Lord, 2021, banned <laughs> book list, including such very scary titles as Matthew Cherry's Hair Love <laughs> and the little board books about Martin Luther King. Yeah. Rosa Parks. Controversial so. stuff, Kristen. <laughs> yes. Super <laughs> controversial. And, you know, the good news is hooray for activism. Hooray for amazing students who stood up, had their voice heard because this actually did get overturned. But guess what? This isn't the only school district. This is happening all over the country. And so we decided that we really wanted wanted to rerun one of our favorite episodes with Mina Harris. Yes, that Mina Harris, right, Liz? Yes, it's amazing. It's one of my favorite interviews. We talked about the importance of diverse children's books and representation in children's literature, especially because she is now a two-time children's book author herself. It's a great conversation. And as you might hear, this was recorded a little ways back. So we talk about her aunt Kamala at the time. We were talking about then Senator Kamala Harris. So things have changed a little bit, but one thing that has not changed is the importance for diverse books for children. We hope you enjoy this episode and get as much out of it as we did. Hello and welcome to Spawn, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner, and along with Kristen Chase, we're the founders of CoolMomPicks.com. Sadly, Kristen is away from us this week, and I know she will be extra sad to miss this guest because today I get to talk to the one and only Mina Harris about her brand new children's book, Kamala and Maya's Big Idea, and why representation matters in children's books. And I'm really excited to chat with her, so I'll be back with Mina right after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Ecovax Dbot N7, which is your no-fuss robot cleaning assistant, aka robotic vacuum that in our house is named Rosie. <laughs> it's ready to vacuum and mop your floors in one go. Yes, it will vacuum and mop. It's high-performance 2300 PA suction power, removes dust and dirt hiding in floor cracks and carpet, all at surprisingly low noise levels. The Smart Navi 3.0 mapping technology creates a systematic cleaning path with fewer missed spots, which I can attest to. I have to say I may have taken a photo of the beautiful things it did on my carpet. And the Osmo mopping system allows for simultaneous vacuuming and mopping using precision water control and auto carpet detection, which means it knows when it's on the hardwood floor and it knows when it's on your carpet so your carpet doesn't get wet. So with this D-Bot N7, you can enjoy a deep cleaning every day and check this out. We have an amazing deal. If you go to amazon.com, make sure that you search for EcoVax, that's E-C-O-V-A-C-S, D-Bot N7, and you use the code C. CLMOM300. When you combine that with the offers that are already on Amazon, you will see them. I promise. You're going to get this robotic vacuum for $299.99. That's just under $300. That's over $150 off 
the price that you're going to see when you go to the page. And that is through the 7th of October. So go to amazon.com, look for the Ecovax D-Bot, D-E-E-Bot N7. Use the code CLMOM300, all one word, plus the on-page coupon and save over $150 on this awesome robotic vacuum. So let me tell you a little more about today's incredible guest. Mina Harris is arguably one of the most powerful and dynamic young leaders in America today and recognizes an influential voice for women's equality. She's a graduate of Stanford University and Harvard Law. You might have heard of those. And she's the CEO and founder of the groundbreaking Phenomenal Women Action Campaign, a woman-powered brand that brings awareness to social causes. And in fact, if you've ever seen me wearing my Phenomenal Mother shirt, well, now you know where it comes from. Mina's also an attorney, a strategist focused on corporate citizenship, and has advised major brands on diversity and inclusion. This week happens to be the launch of Mina's first book, a lovely children's picture book from HarperCollins entitled Kamala and Maya's Big Idea, which is based on a true story from the childhood of Mina's mother, Maya Harris, and her aunt, Kamala Harris, who you may have heard of. She might even be on my laptop wallpaper right now, just saying. <laughs> Mina's book has already been praised by Stacey Abrams, Elizabeth Warren, Megan Rapinoe, Soledad O'Brien, and us. It really is wonderful. And on top of all this, Mina is the mom of two daughters, and they're living in San Francisco, and we are so happy she spent the time to join us today. Welcome, Mina. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here, or be with you. I'm like, we're not here together, but virtually. I'm so excited. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, we keep saying that this podcast is like our social life, our actual social life. Yeah. I'm seeing you as much as I'm seeing my own mom these days. So. Oh, man. <laughs> so true. Gosh, it is a tough time. Yeah. So how are you doing these days? Like, what is it like parenting in San Francisco right now? You know, I think for our kids, they're pretty young still. And so the main disruption for them is just not, you know, going to preschool and, you know, getting to see their, their classmates and their friends. We've done, you know, virtual like FaceTimes and things like that um, for them to connect. So that's been good. But yeah, we don't have, you know, like formal homeschooling requirements, which I uh, do not envy and uh, do not understand how parents are surviving right now who have to, to do that. It sounds like, you know, it's like three full time jobs that we're all, you know, having to do all at once. So they're good. You know, we're lucky um, to live in a place that has like pretty nice weather most of the time. Our house is surrounded by parks that are open and it's not terrible. So I feel extremely lucky and we're just taking it day by day, you know, kind of letting some of the structure and schedule go out the window, but that's totally fine. And everybody's, you know, we're, we're fine. It's a very much a one day at a time situation. Exactly. We always keep saying we're all in this together and like, we're all making it up as we go along. And if you're finding even a few silver linings, it sounds like you're doing great. Exactly. I mean, I'm somebody who's very kind of type A overly scheduled, overly planned about everything. It's been a real lesson and just letting go, you know, (laughs) and like truly taking it day by day. Well, that's a good segue because I want to talk a little bit about your background. So your grandmother was a civil rights activist and a scientist. Your mom, Maya, is a major civil rights lawyer and a public policy expert. And your aunt is the former AG of California and a U.S. senator and a former presidential candidate and who knows where she'll go, but a rising star in the party. So I can only imagine what your upbringing was like. And I'm hoping you can share just a few of the things about your own childhood that help kind of make you the person you are today, type A and active and community oriented, because honestly, not everybody takes after their parents. For sure. Yeah. I mean, now for me as a a parent myself, I have such 
appreciation for uh, how I grew up and how formative that was for me. And I think all the time about we're living in different circumstances and times, and but how do I really pass it on to my own daughters? But growing up for me, I was, I was surrounded by these incredible, powerful women. It was sort of like all women. <laughs> I joke that it's like the opening scene of the Wonder Woman movie where they're like on this all female sovereign island nation. They're that's like, one, the best part of the movie, like yeah, just right? the Amazon stuff. <laughs> and that's like what my worldview was. It was my mom, my grandma and my aunt. And I did not know about men and leadership. And it was just like all women running things and doing things. And it was incredibly important for me to see that and to see women doing good in the world and to see them leading. It was a huge source of pride for me. And again, especially now as a mom myself, but as well, you know, and this all kind of goes back to my grandmother, Kamala describes the way that they grew up with her as like being surrounded by adults who were marching and shouting (laughs) for this thing called justice is the way that she talks about it. My experience, of course, was a little bit different in that I didn't grow up in the 60s, but uh, it felt like that in the sense that it was just all around me all the time. And part of that was dinner table conversations about social justice or whatever was, you know, happening in the world at that moment from the perspective of social justice. It was my grandmother taking me to the grocery store and telling me why we weren't allowed to eat grapes because we were boycotting grapes, right? I mean, she was such a great example of everyday activism and, you know, waking up every day with a commitment to do good and to do her part. And that was very much the values that I was raised around. I think it's a, probably a little bit more intense or like aggressive for the average person where it, just, it did feel sort of just like nonstop around me, you know, all the time. But my biggest learning from that is that it has to be continuous, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be every single day at your dinner table. I mean, we're all exhausted and juggling a million things, but you do as a parent have to, you know, decide like I'm going to commit to raising my kids in this way. I'm going to commit to talking to them about issues in this way and exposing them to issues in this way and, and show them through action right? What it means to do your part, what it means to give a damn. As I said, I think about that every day in my own parenting. And I feel so, so lucky that I I grew up in that household and I'm trying to figure, you know, we're all figuring it out, but how can I emulate that? How can I pass it on to my own daughters? You're doing a lot. I mean, you do so much. I knew how much you were doing. And then I read your bio and realized you were doing even more than that. (laughs) So what inspired you to want to write a children's book and kind of add that into the list? Yeah. Like, the book was not ever on my roadmap. It's kind of wild. That was never like a dream of mine to, to become an author. I love writing. I love reading books, but it was never sort of like, oh, that's something I want to do one day. Um, and it was very much in line with, you know, as I said, these values I was raised with, you know, you see something, you do something. And uh, if you see a problem that needs to be solved, like go solve it. So the first sort of inspiration for me was becoming a new mom myself and reading kids books with my now older daughter and reading the classics, Goodnight Moon and where the wild things are and this great, you know, body of iconic children's literature. But at a certain point was like, where are the girls? Where are the black children? Mm-hmm. There came a point where, you know, we were coloring the the skin in with a brown marker or changing the pronouns from he to she to they, right? And I felt there was a, a huge lack of representation for kids that look like my daughters that have brown skin and curly hair, right? Or who are being raised in families where we talk about things like social justice. And 
it coincided as well with, you know, this moment of coming out of the 2016 election. And I think in many of the same ways that I was inspired to start Phenomenal, thinking about, you know, how do we talk to people about this stuff? How do we, you know, get parents to think about, you know, raising their kids in this way? And what better way to do that than to honor this family story and also the values and lessons that I learned from my family and pass that on to other children, including first and foremost, my own, right? And memorializing that for them. That sounds so much like what we hear from many authors and entrepreneurs who are also parents that parenthood was the turning point for them to refocus and think, oh, I want to do something for my kids. And so it's interesting that you talk about that as well. And I'd love you to just share a little bit about the book. It's called Kamala and Maya's Big Idea. And I know it was inspired by a true story, though it's not exactly the story. And I I actually like how you talk about this. Can you give us kind of a quick rundown about the book and who it's for? Yeah. So it's about two sisters named Kamala and Maya. And <laughs> I don't want to give away the like whole plot. That's but... very creative, by the way. The names. <laughs> I love the names. Yeah. So they <laughs> are their real names. Uh, they are two sisters. It's based on a childhood story of them growing up. And it is about these two sisters, you know, seeing an issue in their community, seeing, a, as I said earlier, like a problem that needs to be solved. And they go do it. They come together um, with each other, with their community and decide, you know, we're going to do something about this and we're going to go after this big idea and make it happen. Ultimately, I think it's an incredible lesson and early lessons around community organizing, right? Bringing your community together, leaning on your community to do something good for your community. And so as much as it's very much about girl leaders and seeing powerful, fully developed, relatable girl characters as the main characters, which I think is also hugely lacking in children's literature still. It's also about community and making positive change in your community wherever you can, however you can, right? It's about the fact that all of us have a role to play, no matter how small. And in the case of this book, it's literally in their backyard and the in the courtyard of their apartment complex is where they decide they want to see change. And I think it's something that we can all take away, right? That there's something that each of us can contribute. We can't do everything, but everyone can do something. And right now, I mean, in this moment that we're in, it's just like do anything, right? And I think it's even more potentially relevant for parents in this moment with the pandemic, where not only are we, you know, seeing incredible acts of humanity and people just doing good, but also that the small acts really matter and really make a difference, whether it's going grocery shopping for uh, an elderly neighbor or making a mask for a frontline worker. So they come together and they they persevere in the face of no, um, of adults telling them it can't be done. You know, you're too small. You're too young. It's too expensive. And they figure it out. It's such a great story uh, for all children. I think that's another really important message, which is that this isn't just a book for girls. It's not just a book for uh, brown girls, right? It, this is arguably more important for, for boys to read and to see girls as leaders. And we know that when boys see and, and respect girls as leaders, they turn into men who respect women as leaders. And so I look at this as me also doing my part, right? And, and understanding that a lot of these cultural norms and, and the way that we talk to our kids and teach them about how we see girls in the world really matters in the long run. And there's something that each of us can be doing to start to lay that foundation, right? Of encouraging our girls to go after their big ideas, encouraging our boys to see girls as fully formed humans who are worth supporting and are worth, you know, admiring for their big ideas. I love everything you said. I'm furiously typing down quotes because this is so good. And I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you actually brought up the fact that it's a universe.
universal story because I think the most special children's books, and we review a lot of children's books. So I'm telling you, our listeners, this is an exquisite book. And the illustrations from Ana Ramirez Gonzalez are just, they're so cheerful and wonderful. I just find the book really inspiring. I think it's going to allow parents to do what really good children's literature does, which is allow you to like ask each other questions and open up more discussions and talk more about it. And even though it's really about the power of organizing and doing things for your community, I'm glad you brought up that one line because this line, it like punched me in the gut (laughs) when you wrote, no one could do everything, but everyone can do something. Right. I thought that was really special. You know, I think sometimes we think we can't do enough or the problems in front of us seem so overwhelming that we don't know where to start. You know, for kids, it's not always about the big issues like building a playground in your community or working towards social justice. Sometimes it's like, I want to make pancakes and I don't know Mm -hmm. how to do it. And, you know, teaching kids that you just start with one step, like everyone can take one step. I was so grateful for that reminder and that that line really stood out to me as something Mm -hmm. I've always tried to talk to my kids about. I think, again, like with a universal theme like this, it really is a book for everyone. And that's so important. Exactly. And part of it too, it's just like girls existing in the world and being bosses and leaders and being awesome, which we know is the case, right? And it not being the default that it's like a white boy, right? Marley Diaz, the education and young book activist says, they just wanted me to read books about a white boy and his dog. And it's true, right? Yeah. I did a book club video about her. That's a fabulous book. Yeah. I love it. Marley Diaz. She's amazing. So there's this statistic um, in 2018, there were as many books that had animal as main characters as there were books with main characters that were Black, Latinx, Indigenous, and Asian combined. And part of it for me, back to what you were saying about it being a universal message, is that it's not called the like girl power, like organizing book or how to be a powerful girl, right? It's just they're in the world existing in their power as they do. And I wish that was a default, right? I wish that was something that we could, you know, be expecting that it's the girl characters that are the main protagonists. And so, as you said, too, you can take away so many things from it, right? It's not about how to be an activist. It's not, I think there's all this stuff out there that's surely super important, you know, how to talk to your kids about race, but feels so much more, you know, kind of clinical, right? Whereas, as you said, is it's about like problem solving. You want to go make pancakes? What are the steps that you have to take to figure it out, right? Who do you need help from? How do you ask them for help? How do you get it done? And I think when we, we talk about parenting too, those are also just the basic building blocks about how do you, you know, ask those questions? How do you challenge your kids to problem solve, to figure out, you know, how they want to show up in the world with intention and purpose? That was absolutely my intention with the book. The thing that's really cool is even though we're talking about it with all these big thematic messages and like it's about the world and it has so many analogous meanings for other things in life, it really is a simple story in a way. It reminds me of, I don't know if you ever read the, it's kind of a, another canonical book called The Carrot Seed by Ruth Krauss. Oh, I haven't. And it's just about like a little boy who pulls and pulls and pulls on the seed. I read it as a kid. Yeah. It's like still popular. And it just reminds me of that. Like it's kind of a classic story about kids exactly. wanting to do something and working hard until they do it. And that's just a very simple, very good lesson exactly. at its essence. And I really like that. You know, we've talked a lot about the importance of representation in kids' books. We do it on our site all the time. We've done it here. But I realized when it came up, 
that we talked to LeVar Burton several years ago on Spawn, mm-hmm. and it came up a little bit in the podcast, but we hadn't done a podcast episode devoted to it. Mm. So I was like, wow, this is a good opportunity to actually spend more time on this topic because I think it's just interesting. And I think some parents have questions about it still. I think particularly if you're white, and I know the majority of our listeners are white and you're used to kind of living in a white-centered world, mm-hmm. it's hard to understand how meaningful it is for kids who don't feel represented to see themselves reflected back to themselves in books and entertainment and sports and business and politics, wherever it is. So I was just hoping you could talk a little more from your perspective about the importance of representation in general. Sure. I mean, it's it's really straightforward. When you see something existing in the world and you see yourself represented either as, you know, a, a female president or a, a black president, to just use a recent, you know, relevant example, <laughs> yeah. you see what's possible, right? You see that I can do that too. If he did it, if she did it, then that is possible for me too. And other people need to see that it's possible also. One of the things you mentioned previously, which I thought was great, was how important it was for boys to see strong female leads and heroes in books, because it just normalized the ideas that yes, girls are bosses and girls do things. And I know that it's also important to you that white children or kids in less diverse communities can read stories about children of color or read about people who just may be different from themselves in any way. Absolutely. I mean, I think we, I hope, can all agree that that benefits everyone, right? And if you are living in a more white-centered world, you benefit from seeing the perspectives and experiences of other people that have the same experience as you or are living in, in sort of that bubble. I think um, we need to expose our children to, and in doing so, we make them more empathetic and compassionate and curious and interested, right? Like these are such basic ways that we build up our, our children around really basic kindness, right? Understanding that other people have different experiences. Like these are things that just make better people in the long run um, who are more compassionate and more empathetic, more supportive. And so I've actually been having a really interesting conversation around, um, you know, in the black community, especially issues around white people touching their hair. Right. And that's like something oh, yeah. that you should not do. Right. No. Like I think baseline, hopefully most people know that. However, a lot of people do not know that. I just had a very interesting conversation with adults. The person was white and they had a colleague who had like, you know, just come back from the hair salon and had their hair braided and they reached out and touched ah. their hair. And they said, you know, the, they were very kind to me to say, don't do that. And I'm going to explain to you why and really broke it down for them and how they were grateful for that experience um, that they, you know, had it as an adult, right? Um, It wasn't taught to them by their parents. And so we know that happens still. And at the same time, you have incredible authors like Nancy Redd, uh, who just released a book called Bedtime Bonnet. You have um, Matthew Cherry, who just released an incredible, I guess it's not just, it's a couple years ago, Hair Love. Yeah, I love Matthew Cherry. We supported him going back to when he had a Kickstarter for oh, yes, this little amazing. animation short that he was trying to get funded yeah. and then Oscar later. Yeah, love it. Amazing. So you guys were you know, early with that. But my guess is that when people look at hair love or they look at bedtime bonnet that those types of books in in particular they think oh that's not for us right my kids don't have hair like that so it's not a book for us to read and I would actually push back against that and say what if you read them those books and taught them about boundaries and about how we shouldn't touch other people's hair right out of curiosity and so you can use books like that that show them 
through such positive, wonderful storytelling, the experiences of, of different people and different hair textures, right? And learning about other people, but then also talk about how we need to respect people's boundaries and how people, maybe if you have different hair, it's, you know, we, we shouldn't necessarily just reach out and, and touch their hair. And that's a very basic lesson we teach to kids anyway. We talk about other people not touching your bodies or your private exactly. parts or not touching you without consent and who can and can't touch you. And, you know, it's not a complex lesson for a kid. I think it actually plays right into lessons we're already trying to teach our kids about respect and boundaries and bodily autonomy. And it's not a hard concept. It seems like it's a harder concept for adults to grasp. Absolutely. And I mean, that's the part that it's funny. I, I wrote this kid's book and I'm like, I actually say a lot of this stuff to adults all the time. Um, <laughs> it really is basic stuff, but we need the reminders. And as I said before, it's also about showing up with that continuous commitment, deciding I'm going to go buy that book. I'm going to, you know, read it to them. And then I'm going to have a conversation with them about, you know, boundaries and people not respecting those boundaries because their hair is different, right? Like there are ways that you can break this down for children through this wonderful children's literature. And I use those as examples because I think they're the most extreme examples of somebody deciding like, that's not for me, right? Mm -hmm. Because my, I, my hair is not like that. And it's clearly a book that is geared towards black children and black hair. And I would challenge that. And I I think likewise with my book, it's the same thing. It's not a book just for girls or for children of color, right? Um, I would argue maybe that it's even more important for white children um, to read this. And, and we know the power of that. I've become really interested in understanding, you know, the, the social norms and the cultural norms and how early it starts, right? And how again, basic lessons around teaching empathy and compassion and respecting other people and respecting women. These have outcomes in terms of whether or not you are more likely to sexually harass somebody or be violent against women. Like these are all connected and it starts so, so early. And in the same way that I think we're able to, you know, use this as a way to encourage our kids to show up in the world, wanting to, to do good, to do good for their communities. Likewise, I think boys can read it and really get a lot out of it in terms of seeing girls doing awesome things and seeing them as leaders. My worldview was women doing things. Women were in charge. Women were the bosses. That was my default. And, you know, you see boys who grew up in households like that that are sort of dominated by women. And it turns out that they're like pretty awesome people who treat women really well. That would be my brother, by the way. Amazing. <laughs> we used to say to him, sorry, you're growing up with two really strong women. But now we're like, look what a wonderful man you've become. <laughs> exactly. Again, that was for him. That was his everyday experience, right? It was around him all the time. But for others who may not, you know, have that immediately available to them, all those lessons, like there's other ways that we can be incorporating that into how we talk to our kids, um, starting with these children's books. I, I think that's amazing. And actually, you partnered with We Need Diverse Books, which is an incredible organization. We've written about them. But for our listeners who don't know them, can you tell us a little more about them and like why you wanted to work with them? Yeah, I mean, they're doing the the work that we are talking about right now, which is promoting the message that all children deserve to see themselves represented in children's literature and all children benefit when they see all children represented in children's literature. And they are doing incredible work, you know, really raising awareness around that, lifting up literature that is doing that, authors and illustrators um, of color, which we also know are, are hugely underrepresented. Um, and I think, again, starting the conversation, right? Um, it's an organization that is entirely dedicated to this. And it's also to say that, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. Like that organization still needs to exist to continue to remind folks that, you know, we've made progress, but we there's a lot more that we can be doing. For me, my uh, ideal world would be that girls and women were the default main characters, people in charge. I think we have a lot to make up for of uh, <laughs> centuries of not being viewed that way. So why not just 
make that the default. But, you know, I think another point is that as, as much as we've seen progress still, you know, where there's like a diverse cast of characters, most often than not, the diverse characters or characters of color are supporting characters, right? They're not the main protagonists. And I think we need to really talk about how we can be better and do better and help to, you know, get more illustrators of color, um, get more authors of color telling these stories. People who experience this, who live this, are the ones that should be telling the stories. And I think we all have responsibility as, you know, publishing industry, um, others who support these works to make sure that they are able to and, and support them in telling their own stories. What can parents do to seek out more diverse books for their shelves or to help their schools or help their libraries or to help make this happen? So We Need Diverse Books, which is the organization we're partnering with, has a ton of resources. There's also just so many great educators, just like moms and parents and, and dads and regular folks that have really dedicated themselves to raising awareness around this, including providing suggestions for book titles, Part of it, too, is just asking yourself, like looking at the books that you're reading your kids. And if you notice that there's not as much diversity, there, there are tons of books out there now that you can incorporate. And so I think it's really about just committing to that. And if I may say so, Cool Mom Picks is a fantastic resource for this. We've had a diverse group of writers over the years, all moms that are really committed to diversity in children's literature. And I think some of our book roundups are the best. One of the most popular articles we ever wrote, it was back in early 2017 at the beginning of Family Separation, which that's a Mm -hmm. whole other story. It was about nine lovely children's books about the immigrant experience to help encourage more kindness and empathy. And it gave me so much hope that parents want to do the right thing and raise kids to do better than maybe how my generation, I'm close to your mom's age, so better than we've done. It gave me hope. And and often, you know, when there's problems in the world, we tend to respond to them by sharing children's books with parents that we think can help them address some of the things that kids hear on the news. And speaking of that, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this has been a really tough week, and in particular for the Black community. And we're thinking about how do we cover it on our site and what kinds of books should we share and how can we help parents help their kids make sense of what's going on. And I know there's really specific books that we love, like, I don't know, if you know something happened in our town. No, I haven't heard of that one. It's really good. It's by Marianne Solano, Marietta Collins, and Anne Hazard. And it's Mm -hmm. about a shooting of a black man by a white police officer and how two different families, black and white, discuss the issue in their community. It's really, really good. It's powerful and and made for kids. It's excellent. Mm -hmm. But it's on the nose, right? I think a less obvious point is that books like yours that have universal themes and situations, but more diverse representation also can help kids work towards empathy and anti-racism and help them get to the place where we first see everybody as human and worthy of life and happiness and livelihood. And I think that your book counts among them. Thank you. Yeah. One thing you said earlier that I want to respond to that I think is really important just in terms of giving parents some, you know, tips around how to approach this, which is something that I do. It's also what Phenomenal does, which is thinking about the moment that you're in, right? And being able to get some of these tools to talk to your kids about what is going on in the world. So you mentioned, you know, providing resources to talk about immigration while we were seeing family detention happen. And I think that that's really crucial for, again, kids to understand what's going on in the world, the different experiences of people who are not like them. And it's an incredible way to be able to educate them, right? It becomes much more concrete and real for them in that way. So it's something that we do as well, right? Thinking about what's going on with 
coronavirus, for example, or Mm -hmm. police killings. And how do we talk to our kids about that? Something that really stuck with me, um, I interviewed Lauren Underwood, uh, who is now a congresswoman. Um, This was during her campaign. And what she said to me about how she was raised was that she didn't come from like what you would call a political household, the way you might refer refer to mine Mm -hmm. and the way that I grew up. And she's, you know, her parents weren't, you know, activists, quote unquote. But what they did do was they talked to her about what was happening on the news, right? Like they were talking to her every day about what was going on in the world. And that very much was how I was raised as well, right? Um, Connecting this to, you know, real life and what is happening all around us. And part of the message is that we should care, right? We should care what is happening outside of our neighborhoods. We should care about what's happening to other people. But the point is too, that, you know, she wasn't raised by people that said, you're going to be an activist and you're, you know, you should run for office and you should become a politician. But she was raised in a household that just talked about what was going on in the world because, you know, we should care. And she turned out pretty awesome, right? She did end up running for office and becoming a congresswoman. But I think that that is something that is, again, so small. But, you know, if we're having these conversations as an adult, I was talked to, I mean, that's one feature also, I think of being like a super only child as I was, (laughs) is that like, I was talked to basically like an adult, you know, I was invited to be a part of, you know, basically adult dinner conversations. Again, especially if we're talking about black men being murdered in broad daylight by the police, how do you talk to a three-year-old about that? Mm-hmm. That is hard, but there are ways that you can do it. And there are ways that you can situate it within, as we've been talking about, sort of universal lessons, right? One example, this is something that I was kind of like in the moment trying to figure out how to navigate. It was kind of a really funny thing. There's a piece of paper that my daughter had grabbed to color on. On the other side of it, it was in big letters that 100,000 Americans have died from coronavirus. And the reason it was sitting there was I had just done a video for something and I had been holding that up. Mm. And she wanted to trace the letters. Oh, wow. (laughs) And she wanted to know what it said. And I was like, all right, what am I going to do here? So, you know, she originally saw it just, you know, thinking it was in big, huge letters. So she was sort of drawn to it. And I said, well, it says 100,000 Americans have died from coronavirus. And she said, died. And so then I was like, wow, I guess I'm going to have to have this conversation because I, I'm, and I didn't want to lie to her and say, you know, oh, it says happy birthday or like, I'm not going to do that. But, you know, I, I, this was just kind of figuring it out as I was going along. And what I decided in that moment, I, I started off by saying, this is a very complex topic and I want to have a long conversation with you. So this is just the beginning of our conversation. Let's just start the conversation, but I want to keep talking about this. Right. And I decided that I wanted to use it to teach her gratitude and to recognize that she is privileged and she knows about coronavirus. Sorry, let me step back and say that. Like she knows that, right? Like, why we are sheltering in place, why we are at home, why we, you know, are not living our lives as normal, that we need to wash our hands and protect ourselves and that it's a a virus that'll make you sick. Mm -hmm. And what I said was, you know, there are people who did everything that they could to protect themselves, just like daddy and I are teaching you to wash your hands. But, you know, unfortunately, they didn't have access to some of the same privileges that we do, such as doctors and medical care and people to protect them. Some of them had to go to work and were exposed and they did everything they could. But unfortunately, they didn't have enough protections. And so unfortunately, they died. This could have gone so many different directions, but I chose to really focus on and we are lucky. But you're also saying what every expert has told us is really important with kids, which is to be honest about things that are going on, not tell them any information beyond what they need to know, and all the while to reassure them that you're here for them and that there's like doctors and scientists here to take care of us and they're working on this and to let them know that we're here to protect them. Right, absolutely. It sounds like you're covering all of that, which is 
Amazing. You know, it does start with those conversations and being honest with them and exposing them to, you know, what is actually going on and not shielding them from it. I, and I, to be really honest with you, I haven't read a lot of that, like medical guidance or, you know, guidance on how to talk to your kids about this stuff. I've just been sort of... I have a few podcast episodes I can send All right. You. <laughs> well, I should listen to them because, you know, we're now in it. It's, you know, everybody's busy, right? I'm just sort of like, oh my God, okay, I guess I have to figure this out in the moment. That's right now. There've been other instances similarly, you know, especially since Trump was elected one in particular that was kind of funny, which is, you know, we get the New Yorker and often there are cartoons. Uh, I mean, there's always a cartoon on the cover and often it's uh, Donald Trump. And she was like, this is my older one, was like maybe not even two. And she said, who is that? And I said, it's Donald Trump. And Nick, my partner, kind of came running in like, whoa, what's going on? Like, are we really going to do this? And I was like, yeah, we are. <laughs> um, yes, I'm going to talk uh-huh. to my, you know, one and a half year old about Donald Trump. And again, I wasn't like, you know, giving her a lesson on like authoritarianism and like dictators, although we should probably start doing that soon. She's almost four. Why not <laughs> now? Um, but instead, I used it to say, you know, talk to talk to her about what it means to be a leader and what it means to be a good leader. And that that, you know, includes things like compassion and empathy and caring for others. And, you know, she was one and a half. So this was also kind of in a moment of what's good behavior and bad behavior. And, you know, it was kind of this refrain that she started repeating, like Donald Trump has bad behavior, you know, because he's not kind to others. I I could go on and on. But there's just so many ways that we can sort of break this stuff down and to really pull out universal basic lessons around things like compassion and empathy. I love hearing your perspective, by the way, especially as a mom of an almost four-year-old who's young. I mean, my kids are now 13. (laughs) And we hear it or see it all over social media that some parents are like, keep kids innocent. Kids don't need to know things. Let them have a childhood. And I always thought it came from a really intense place of privilege that you don't have to have these conversations with your kids. And I think you remind us that there's other ways to do it, other ways to look at it. And it doesn't necessarily ruin your kids. Sometimes it raises the next Mina Harris. <laughs> and I think well, it's wonderful. You. And I think you're an amazing, thoughtful, and caring mom. And I could talk to you for like another hour. But let me ask you just one more question, because I just love hearing about how you're parenting your kids based on how you were parenting. What's your greatest hope for your own girls? I mean, my greatest hope is that they can do anything they want and they won't have to experience sexism and and racism and any of these other challenges and barriers. But part of what I think about in terms of my parenting is I want to be real with my kids about what they have to do in order to succeed in the world and to achieve in the world, which is to say that it's going to be hard and you're going to have to work really hard. You're going to have to, you know, in my family, um, as in a lot of, I think, Black families, we say you have to work twice as hard to achieve half as much sometimes. So I, I really think about, you know, how do I raise them in a way that is hopeful and reminds them that they can do anything. I was taught that you can do anything, you can be anything, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. And you can never give up. You can't take anything for granted. You can't cut corners. You know, nothing will be handed to you. And that's exactly what my my grandmother and my mother told me every single day. And part of what I think about with the book is I've seen this quote from someone I saw it on like Instagram one day where it was like, the amazing thing about girl power is that it turns into women power. And I was like, that's cute. Yes. You know, but also... 
I'm like girl power in the way that we talk about it, like actually just turns into women's inequality, right? Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't just happen that way. Mm -hmm. How can we be real with our children about that, that they are going to experience challenges and prepare them, right? Like that is what this book is about. How do you prepare your kids to solve problems, to see problems and decide I can do something about that and I'm going to do something about that. Kamala talks about this a lot with my grandmother. They would come home from school, you know, complaining about something and my grandmother would say, well, what do you to do about it. Oh my you know? God. And I don't want to make her seem totally like cold, but it, it was, there was some tough love in my household. Like, <laughs> okay. So I have to share a story. One of the things that extraordinary athletes in particular have in common or dancers or performers, but in particular athletes, uh, is that their parents always said, I love watching you play. Mm. That that was a unifying message of support that they all received. And that's one thing they all had in common. And so now parents know how to say, I love watching you play. Not just like you scored really well, or you were really fast today, but I love watching you play. Mm. When I had the privilege of meeting Chelsea Clinton a few years ago before the last election, my daughter asked her a question. I think she was 12 at the time. And she asked her, what was your childhood like that you became who you are now and doing all this good stuff in the world? And she told the story about how every morning she would go downstairs to breakfast and she was asked to read the paper because we read the papers back then. (laughs) And her parents every morning would ask her over breakfast, well, what's one thing that you saw in the newspaper that stood out to you? And she'd say, well, I'm really upset because birds are dying because they're choking on the plastic rings that hold the soda cans together. And they would always say, well, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And she would figure out a way to go off and do something and alert her school and let people know. Right. And you're using those exact same words. Wow, that's amazing. Ex- I know. Like, is that my ne- is that the next kid's book? Because I do have this whole, I mean, in, th- in thinking about how to continue this, right? I, I'm guessing that for lots of other extraordinary women that they have similar stories from their childhood. I know. Well, I'll be happy to write it with you and Chelsea. And I love it. I love it. <laughs> that is so amazing. I did not know that. Look, we came up with this amazing thing. So it sounds like if you want to raise informed empathic, incredible, world-changing kids. What are you going to do about it? In a nice way, seems like a really good way to go. By the way, I do that with her and her sister too. It's like she gets in a thing with her sister and she's like, mommy, mommy. I'm like, go talk to your sister. You guys need to figure this out. Like, go figure it out. I mean, yeah, sometimes I need to intervene um, or, you know, but (laughs) as you have said this whole time, this is like really basic stuff, right? How do we raise independent kids? How do we raise kids who are thinking for themselves, who, again, have that encouragement that they can do anything, but also that it is expected of them that they will figure out how to go do that thing. Thank you for that, story. That's super cool. Yeah. Well, now you two can get together and compare notes. <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll step out at this point. I'm not in that range. Oh, wait. I just have to ask you. Of course, I have to ask you. So is your aunt Kamala like absolutely as cool as she seems? She is. She <laughs> absolutely is. I, I would actually say she's even more cool and amazing than people may be able to see. Growing up, it really felt like my household was like social justice, food and laughter. Like that's how I would just describe my family. And and she embodies that. I mean, she's funny. She loves to cook. She loves cooking for people. And, and, you know, there's a real sort of caretaker in her. And she also, you know, doesn't take no shit and (laughs) um, is out there doing the work and and fighting for folks. So uh, she and my mom, of course, it's amazing to see, you know, how they are also caring for the the legacy that, you know, my grandmother created for all of us. I think that's beautiful. It reminds me a little of my family, but because we're Jewish, it was 
um, social justice, food, and kvetching. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I love it. That's so good. So, Mina, tell us where else we can find you on social media and so we can learn more about everything you're doing right now. Yeah. So I feel like each of them has kind of a different voice. So if you want to really see some political content and me cursing a lot, Twitter is Mina Harris and Instagram is at Mina. The most important plug is for the book, which you can find at phenomenalgirl.com. One thing I want to plug especially is that we have a campaign to support local independent bookstores. And we have now over 25 indie bookstore partners. We launched this campaign before the pandemic, knowing what, you know, vital institutions bookstores are for our communities. And now with the pandemic, it couldn't be more important as many of them are, you know, depending on all of us to pre-order and online order to, you know, literally stay in business. I'm so happy to hear that. In fact, we know a lot of people like to shop at Amazon. Amazon and it's convenient and it's inexpensive, but on our site, we have evolved a lot more to supporting indie bound and local independent bookstores and libraries because they're so important to our community. Amazing. Yeah. So super important. And we have a pre-order campaign that ends when the book launches on June 2nd. And after June 2nd, we're going to have another fun little promotion that I'm not going to give away. Uh-huh. It involves a giveaway. And by the way, phenomenalwoman.us is yes. how I first found you. And really cool merch, you guys. So check it out. There's great stuff on there. Mina, you're amazing. So listen, you're going to stick around for our cool picks of the week? Yes. Great. We'll be back with that right after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by ParentEducate.com, which is where parents go to learn from an ever-growing library of 80-plus online research-based courses. With ParentEducate.com, parents can quickly become fluent in infant, toddler, and preschool care through brief 20 to 30-minute courses on topics like brain development, constructive play, discipline, biting, that's a popular one, and more. Parents who sign up for ParentEducate.com's seven-day trial even get free access to the entire catalog of courses for a whole week. Child Care Education Institute is the number one trainer of pre-K and daycare teachers, and they are the ones behind ParentEducate.com. So all the courses are packed with the same information and techniques taught to leading early childhood educators. The courses are available 24-7 on any device and can be started and stopped at any time, allowing families to conveniently learn how to parent like a pro because we know you're all busy. Go to ParentEducate.com to sign up for a free seven-day trial. That's ParentEducate.com and use code CMP21 at checkout so you can get 20% off once your trial ends. Again, that's ParentEducate.com using code CMP21, all one word, at checkout and you'll get 20% off once your trial ends. And now it's time for Cool Picks of the Week! Cool Picks of the Week! And Mina, you are our guest. You get to go first. My cool pick of the week is roasting a whole chicken. And (laughs) this may sound like really basic, but for me, it has been a big deal in part because I had never done it before. And there was like so much buildup to just like finally doing it. It felt like such a big, you know, moment. And I thought there was so much more sort of involved and that was going to be sort of a big production. And it's super easy. Like it's, it's so easy. It's so gratifying to roast a whole chicken by yourself and then to eat it is also amazing, obviously. And then I've now started making chicken stock with the chicken. So it's this whole, cooking has been very- It was your gateway chicken, wasn't it? (laughs) Exactly. 
<laughs> I'm like, am I, a, do I, am I a homesteader now? Like, I'm just like living off of my, <laughs> next I need to like actually get some chickens. I can be a full on um, homesteader. But Did you use a particular recipe or yes, like a well, website for advice? This, I'm going to get in trouble with uh, Kamala right now, actually. So she is the, she's amazing at cooking. Um, as I think a lot of people know, Yeah, the, the best roast chicken I had ever had in my entire life was one that she made. It was like a very special moment. I will never forget. And after I roasted my chicken, I was like, I've never had chicken this good except for it, for hers. I'm like, I think maybe mine might be better. So that was... <laughs> You need to have a cook off. I know we do, right? And but so her, she has a whole thing about roasting a chicken and how like you don't need a a lot of stuff and there's like a really simple way to do it. So she, I'm I'm giving her credit for being like the original person to guide me through this. I need to make sure I do that. However, yes, there is another recipe that I'd recommend, which is it's a New York Times buttermilk chicken marinade. So there's that one, and then there's also one called the Green Goddess. It's also New York Times chicken marinade. So I've now done like two buttermilks. I did one green goddess. And then the last one I did, which is literally the best roast chicken of definitely of them all. And I think I've ever had in my whole entire life is combining them. So basically you take the buttermilk recipe, which is super basic. It's literally like you put two tablespoons of salt um, into two cups of buttermilk and you let the chicken marinate by combining it with the green goddess. You like blend up basil, chives, a bunch of like herbs and you blend them in with the buttermilk and salt and then use that as the marinade. That's fantastic. You know, we'll look for the recipes and we'll post it on Cool Mom Picks on the podcast page so everyone can find those. And by the way, I should point you towards Stacey Billis, who was a recent guest and she's a, a cookbook author and food maven and she helped us found Cool Mom Eats. Oh, she just came out with a book called Winner Winner Chicken Dinner. That's amazing. And it's just like 50 chicken recipes oh, and it starts nice. with roasting a chicken. So you might find some really good stuff in there. It's got kind of family-friendly ideas in mind. It's really easy and I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to admit, and this is like so embarrassing because I had never done it before, that the first, like I almost fainted, like cutting the <laughs> neck and then like cutting the wings. I just, it was really, I, I did not expect it to be like that. And now I just feel like I've, I've unlocked this whole new world of just like roasting chickens. Like it's nothing. It's amazing. I love so it. So it's very empowering. I, I totally get it. I mean, me, I'm just still baking bread and feeling really good about that. So I can only imagine getting onto the full chicken. Yeah. So my goal pick is a totally different direction. I want all our listeners to make sure they complete the U.S. Census. That's good. Mina, have you filled it out yet? Oh, yeah. And actually, thanks for the reminder. I was doing a lot of promoting that um, to folks to do it, and I should keep doing it. Um, But yeah, it's super, super important. Excellent. That's so good. Yeah. All you have to do is go to my2020census.gov. This is not an ad. This is democracy, you guys. It takes less than 10 minutes, maybe even five minutes. It's so easy. It's confidential. I think some people don't fill it out because they're nervous about it. But here's what's important to know is it makes sure that our communities get the funding that we need for healthcare, Medicare, hospitals, schools, so much more. And we're talking about about like nearly $700 billion every year. And this is going to be the number they use for the next 10 years. So it's really important. The other thing is it determines how many representatives 
that each state has in Congress. We can redistrict based on this. So, if, for example, your community has blown up, maybe it's time for you to have more representatives in Congress speaking out for you. And and actually up and down at every level, at the state and community level as well. It's in the Constitution. It's really important. If it was good enough for Alexander Hamilton, it's good enough for all of you. So please visit my2020census.gov. Do it online. You could do it even like right now as soon as the podcast is over. It'll just take you a few minutes. It's the law, but it will also benefit you. And I think that's a very cool pick. Yeah, that is so important. And I would add that it is so, so easy. I think, you know, we're like, oh, I have to fill out something online. It's going to take longer than people say. It literally no, takes three it's, minutes. It's like how many kids are living at home? Yes, like yeah. what race are you? Like it's really, it's very basic. There's no citizenship questions. There's nothing that you should be worried about. It's really easy and important and please do it. And if Mina says, then you know it's <laughs> Do it. <laughs> well, that's it. I hope you enjoy that as much as I did. Wow. Thanks to our incredible guest, Mina Harris. As you can tell, I really could have talked to her all day and we probably will another time. And hey, thanks to all of you for joining us for another episode of Spawn. Huge thanks as always to our engineer, John Bowen. And listen, if you've got a moment, I know we're all busy these days and can just hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. We would be really grateful. Another thing you can do if we're not asking too much, hopefully not asking too much, leave us a five-star review if you like Spawned and you like what you hear. It really helps other people find us and it just makes us feel good and that's nice. We like doing nice things for people these days, right? If you've got an idea for a future show or want to say hi, feel free to reach out at Cool Mom Picks on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now on the TikTok with the kids just to embarrass them. We're there. You can always drop us an email, Spawned at coolmompicks.com. You can also join us in our Spawn podcast community on Facebook where we chat about everything. Just search for it on Facebook. You will find it pretty easily or through the Cool Mom Picks Facebook page. Thanks so much for listening to Spawn. This is Liz. Kristen will be back soon. Happy June, everyone. Have a great day.